Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Alan Hoskins back on here for his monthly check-in. And, you know, Alan and I were always recording a podcast before podcast. I swear every time we come on here, Alan, I just hit, I should just hit record mm-hmm. from when we say hi to each other and then just let it go from there because a lot of good stuff come in there. But we brought up the idea of going through the process of uh, what things look like and, and, and how these subscriptions and technology stuff are all playing in there. But before we get that, at least got to be have enough manners here to ask you how you doing, Alan. So how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing well, Casey. Appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to be on again. Yeah, no, I have, love having you on here because this is, this is something I've been thinking about for a while and I've been trying to get my head wrapped around on, on who owns what and how, as a lender especially, when you're looking at liens and all the legal stuff that goes in there to make sure that you guys are protected if something were to go uh, astray um, when you start looking at the, the, the broad-based spectrum of, of farm equipment. And, and and the one thing that's out there right now that, that uh, it, it is the third rail of anything, it's, it's like talking about Medicare, man, I'll tell you. These people start talking about subscriptions and, and how these things work, and we're starting to see this with, with you know, seeing spray on the deer side. Mm-hmm. And I think other manufacturers are going to fall right into this. This is not something that's just going to be blind to a, to one color, but I think mm-hmm. this is going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of. And, you know, we, we see this, uh, the subscription based model on the scene spray thing where there's a, you know, you buy the componentry to make, to get scene spray on the sprayer. And then you've got, mm-hmm. um, and per acre charge that comes out there. Um, when mm-hmm. you're looking at that, Alan, and mm-hmm. you, you, you've got to have one to make the other one work, right? So you can't just mm-hmm. go out and use it and then not, you know, you got it. There's, there's multiple facets come into that. And, and I get from a manufacturer perspective, what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. they're trying to say, Hey, this thing is wicked expensive. If we were to put it out there, it'd be a whatever. Mm-hmm. It'd be whatever dollars more to, to have it to pay for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. As we look at going out there now. Um, so we're going to break it out there, but there's, I mean, I think the easiest way to, to to look at it is if you look at it from, I buy a computer, it's got Microsoft Office in it, and I'm going to pay a, a subscription for, um, you know, Excel, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's a licensing fee that comes with that, mm-hmm. and I can use that, you know, every month I pay the licensing fee or yearly I pay the licensing fee or whatever. But I also can go out and buy Excel and actually download it to my computer and i own that now i'm not getting any updates i'm not getting any of the, the latest coolest greatest things ever because i didn't have to go through the whole process of doing that but mm-hmm. that being said i can still go out and buy excel mm-hmm. on the deer side on the scene spray side you're getting the componentry and then mm-hmm. you pay a per acre basis now it doesn't you don't have to use that you can use it on a per acre you know if you do one pass two pass three pass four passes whatever it is that you're doing mm-hmm. every time you use it you're going to get a per acre charge Mm-hmm. But like I said, in order for the scene spray to be good, mm-hmm. from a lender's perspective, you've got to have that subscription that mm-hmm. you can turn on and turn off. And and But there again, it's a per acre charge. So I guess, mm-hmm. how do you think about that, Alan, when you're looking at that from a, lending, from a lender's perspective? Well, I think, first of all, if you look at the initial part of the relationship where you have a producer looking at purchasing a sprayer that has a scene spray technology, one of the things that, you know, as a lender that I want to do a better job in understanding is how they are viewing the sea and spray and where do they feel the break-even point is on the sea and spray. Obviously, every year is going to be different, and you're going to have years where weed pressure is a little greater if they're using sea and spray. Mm-hmm. How are they determining where the break-even cost is on that? 
and how many acres on a general year do they feel that will be needed in order to see a revenue benefit from the utilization of the technology from the fact that they're reducing chemical expense. I think, you see, we could probably have a whole conversation somewhere down the road about the environmental impact of if we get to the point where we have to talk about exactly what is sprayed on what acre, how will sea and spray help a farmer accomplish that? Yep. Again, I, I think we could have a whole program about that. But what I would like to hear him talk about is where's the break-even point of the sea and spray? Now, if I'm also looking at it from a lending perspective, you look at the price of a new sprayer. And if we're lending money against that sprayer, and yes, you have the components that have to go into the sprayer as it's built to allow the technology to be effectively utilized. What do I know as a lender about that unit? What do I understand about how the unit may be affected by the inclusion or exclusion of the sea and spray technology? And what effect might that have on a resale basis in the event that as a lender, the bank ended up needing to sell that piece of equipment due to default? Right. I think, Casey, that's something that candidly, When I started in banking 40 years ago, obviously those kind of thoughts never crossed your mind because you you were financing iron. Right. You look at what we're financing today, you look at planters, you look at combines, you look at sprayers, you look at tractors. I don't know what the number is as a percentage of MSRP or selling price, but the technology is a huge component. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And as a lender, and I'm just speaking for me personally right now, not the industry, I view it as a huge part of my job to understand what that technology is, what the value of it is, and more importantly, as I'm having discussions with a customer, how am I providing value to them as a lender in understanding that and being able to engage in conversations where I can be a resource to them? not a detriment because I don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. And that's, that's a good, that's a good point you bring up there because the technology side is we're not to the point now where you have to have the technology to make machine work. That's, that's not true. You don't, you, and you can absolutely right. go out and plant your corn without turning on any, any kind of guidance and, and do it the mm-hmm. old fashioned way with markers and, and, mm-hmm. you know, hope for the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't worry about simulation. Don't worry about anything. You can just go out and plant just like you would always. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, combines you don't need to have the various technologies that are inside combines to go out and, and, and thrash corn or wheat or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're doing right mm-hmm. does it all the same mm-hmm. where the technology comes into play mm-hmm. is that just like what you just said is that it is such a big part of the the price of the machine mm-hmm. how do you separate those you know how do you separate those two pieces from each other and then determine mm-hmm. all right well you know we're going to we're going to finance the iron at X. We're going to finance the technology at Y. How mm-hmm. far, how far do you think we're away from that in, in your, in your mind as you as a banker, when you start thinking about that, because that's, I mean, we're not that far. Cause you start looking at the bolt on technology and autonomous vehicles. And those, Cause I really believe when autonomous vehicles get here and we're mm-hmm. just looking at a tractor just to be the power unit. And it's the technology that's behind the tractor that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. The technology in the plan, the technology in the, 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 the harvesting equipment or whatever it is. And the tractor is mm-hmm. just an old school 
hey, we're just looking for power right now, and it's it's the dumbest thing out there because it just needs to have a something to make it go straight and let you know where mm-hmm. it's at. Mm-hmm. And and sense of that, um, there's going to come a time when the financing of the technology side of it is going to be mm-hmm. like it was when you started 40 years ago, where it was 95 percent of the value, right? Mm-hmm. Was was the iron? Well, it's going to flip to where ninety five percent of the value of the unit is going to be the technology mm-hmm. associated with whatever it is. Have you given that much thought to where you're thinking about like, are you going to have two notes now, like the iron note and the technology note? I don't know, Casey. That, and certainly, I've not spent as much time as I would like to say I have thinking about this. Sure. I don't know that we'll get to the point of seeing two notes. What I do think from the lending perspective, that's going to have to be given a lot of consideration going forward. As a lender, historically, when a piece of equipment is traded for and a lender provides the loan for it, the security agreement says we're doing a loan on equipment. And the accompanying document that's filed at the, typically at the state perfecting the lien says equipment. What happens at some point when perhaps the technology or the software, depending upon who owns it, does the producer own it? Does the company, Deer, continue to own it? And the producer's doing nothing more than leasing it. How do I assist a customer in acquiring that technology, help them understand what they're really pledging as collateral, and also looking at it from the lending perspective, make sure that we're fulfilling the responsibility we have to be prudent lenders and understanding what the risk is. Right. I think that's the challenge, Casey, going forward, because I'm not sure how many years we are away from there being a new line on the Schedule F that may say technology fee. Because oh, wow. if, yeah. we, if we get yeah. to a point where it's a per-pass charge, for guidance, for example, because we've all grown accustomed to that, and it would be very difficult to go back without it. We could. Oh, sure. It'd be a challenge. <laughs> but it'd be hard, yeah. yeah. But I, I have to reasonably, reasonably believe, looking five to ten years down the road, especially as operations continue to grow and technology becomes to be, I won't necessarily say embedded, but I will say a required part of the expense side of a producer's profit and loss statement. I think understanding what the total charge is for technology each year is going to be very, very important to understanding overall profitability. Yeah. And again, using the illustration you gave, I think understanding what type of collateral, because is a fee that is charged to utilize software, how does a bank or any lending institution, not just a bank, but any lender, look at what is it that is truly comprising the collateral for the loan? Mm-hmm. What happens in the, in the event of a default and how would it be transitioned to the next user in the event of an overall default? And also forgetting the default side for a moment, looking at the value of collateral as a part of financing operating lines. Equipment has historically been a very integral part of the overall collateral pool when a lending institution provides a line of credit. As technology continues to change 
what the value of equipment may or may not be. That goes back to my earlier point, Casey, where I as a lender feel that I need to really make sure that I understand that well enough to be able to have those conversations with customers so that at some point in the future, there isn't something that comes up because I didn't do my job as a lender and didn't do a good job of having those conversations with customers. Right. Okay. So here's a scenario I'll throw and this would be kind of similar to what we're talking about. And it's a real world example. So you have have a business startup and I, you know, got everything going. I'm coming to you and say, Alan, you know what? I need to borrow some money. I need to get a new business system, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for them to come implement the business system, it's whatever, 150000 bucks or whatever. For them to come implement the business system, put all the software in, transfer mm-hmm. all my data over. <coughs> excuse me. Transfer all my data over and bring all that stuff back into fruition and then here we go. Uh, and then here's what it costs me every month or a year, whatever it is for support and mm-hmm. leasing, basically getting a license to have this business system with this many users. Mm-hmm. How do you look at that from a lending industry lender? I want to give you two answers to that question because All right. there's two entirely different scenarios that I could use. Okay. If I roll back time, 40 years, you were financing software that was running on an extremely expensive mainframe computer. And that software, a lot of times, is very unique to a particular business. Sure. And it was of little to no value without that huge mainframe computer that, you know, in those days, they built the buildings to where... They could get air underneath the floors to keep the computers cool because they took up the size of a room. That would be one level of discussion. But going back to what you said earlier in this conversation, it's vastly different today. If you look at the fact that for the most part, so much of the hardware that we utilize today is throwaway. It's a completely different discussion. When you're looking at software that is going to be utilized on items that basically can be discarded. I think that's one of the things that makes the discussion we're we're having about agriculture so challenging. You use the case of a new sprayer. The value of the hardware, the old mainframe, if you will, that's in the form Mm -hmm. of that new 412 sprayer, 612 sprayer. That sprayer is still a hugely expensive part of the transaction. Should autonomous vehicles get to the point where the hardware, if you will, becomes, I don't want to say completely negligible, but certainly less than what we're looking at today. Right. Then I think that's a whole different discussion. So I, I think if you have the conversation, Casey, that, that you're talking about, if we're looking at a traditional business in town, or even if you're looking at a farm and you're looking at software that they're going to run to operate their, their farm from an accounting perspective, things like that, they're doing it on throwaway equipment most of the time. I think that's what makes this discussion that we're having today so interesting to me is mm-hmm. because you're talking about software that's integral to the profitability of the operation, but it's still being used on extremely expensive equipment 
that goes along with that. That is a true statement. Yeah. Now I think that's, that's a, that's a good point because if you look at today, even though there's servers out there and every I mean, businesses have their own servers and they're the size of a microwave now, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a server, you know, pretty much. Mm-hmm. If you look at what those look like, you know, and how mm-hmm. the things work, they're only supported for so long. And then you have to update your server, right? Because yes. of requirements of the software or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're doing memory or whatever it is that you got in there. So all those things make a big difference, but mm-hmm. You're you're right. I mean, my vision of the future when you're looking at equipment is not necessarily it's 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 that it's what mm-hmm. you just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's where the the hardware, the sprayer mm-hmm. or the whatever is mm-hmm. is only good as long as it's updatable to the next greatest technology. And there comes a point where mm-hmm. that's hit a point in time where that technology is no longer you can update it anymore, and the, the what it can operate on is mm-hmm. no longer supported. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start running into some real issues with what's going on with, with machinery. So it's, uh, it's this, this next, next couple of years, you know, 24, 25, 26 are going to be, mm-hmm. I kind of think that gateway into that, whatever, whatever the new future is going to look like. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be a very unique path because mm-hmm. guys like you, mm-hmm. your, your business model is going to change on, on how that is. And if you're not, a, if you're not, staying ahead of that curve and everybody's mm-hmm. business models going to dealers, business models, the, the farmers, business models, bankers, business mm-hmm. models, lending, mm-hmm. you know, captive lending people, all those different things are all going to have a, uh, just mm-hmm. the way they're looking at stuff is going to change in such dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to, to know where you're at, what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. and if, if you're not, I just, you know, mm-hmm. you see some of the stuff that's going on now from an, in lending when it comes to just what we see right now and how, mm-hmm. in my opinion, how backward it is at some mm-hmm. some institutions that are out there, mm-hmm. when it really changes again, the next mm-hmm. evolution, man, it's going to be mm-hmm. even that much more of a, mm-hmm. of a hot spot to watch things happen. Mm-hmm. And Casey, going back to something you said earlier, you, you look at the businesses and you talked about the servers. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, and believe me, I am not an IT person. Not even close. Yeah, you and me both. But I think one of the terms that I've heard utilized is the redundancy of servers. Sure. With what we're looking at in agriculture, there's not going to be the redundancy of sprayers or planters. Yes, an yeah. operation might have yeah. two, but it's not because one's going to be a spare or a backup. Right. right. So right. I think that's another fundamental change. Now, I'll also say this, Casey. I think the technological change from a personal perspective is something that I look at as a great opportunity because innovative thinking is typically the creation of value to the end user. hundred percent. And if I'm going to provide value, I have to take from an innovative perspective of how may I create something different for my customer that is not being created elsewhere. And that goes back to making sure that I understand what goes on in the marketplace. And I think there's some lenders out there that do that extremely well. Sure. So I I think there's some positives, but certainly we're going to have to think differently in order to serve folks even better. Okay. All right. So with all that being said, that was, that was a fun. I love those conversations because it makes you think about, stuff you don't normally think about but when you're when you're looking at the uh 
when you look at 24 right now, so I've had this conversation several times where, you know, usually I have a conversation about the next year, kind of get a, a kind of a similar storyline, you know, oh, it's going to be this or it's going to be that. And there's just a few different characters in the mix, but mm-hmm. no one's storyline is really the same this year coming into 24. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a million different characters in their story. So I guess, Alan, as you look at 24, are you, are you on the pessimistic side, the optimistic side, somewhere in the middle? Kind of what's your, what's your thought going into 24? What I'm seeing right now going into 2024, I believe, based upon the things that I have seen personally, from the financial perspective, most of the folks of whom I have firsthand knowledge are going to be moving into the next crop year in a pretty good position. There definitely have been some pockets where there was some drought, but if I look at the area in which we're located, there's some folks that have had some pretty darn good yields, did a pretty nice job of doing some marketing, and they're coming into this year in a pretty good position. And I think if you look at kind of what we've seen thus far with fertilizer prices, chemical prices, that type of thing, it looks to me like Casey going into it, we are in a pretty nice position. We continue to see in our area some really interesting land sales. We've seen a couple lately that were definitely affected by 1031 money that has come into the area. Yeah. Uh, I will also say some of the solar projects, we've seen a couple of those that I think those can be potentially the revenue from those maybe affecting some land prices as well. But definitely the 1031 money is having an impact. So I think that's something to be mindful of. We still aren't seeing just a tremendous amount of land come on the market. But when there is land, there is a demand. So as a whole, I feel pretty good about where we are coming into 2024. I think folks have done a pretty good job of managing working capital. I think they're looking realistically at purchases that truly are perhaps more need than want. I've not had a lot of discussion with folks that are saying, I want to trade. There's some that are looking for some equipment that candidly, it makes economic sense at least for the ones I've talked to, to look at. So I did have a conversation, had a producer the other day that made a comment to me going into year end because we were talking about tax planning. And he said, my preference is to look at seed, fertilizer, and chemical versus equipment because it's not a multi-year commitment that I have to keep funding. But as I go into it, I want to make sure that I'm using prepaids as much as possible before I look at using equipment as a tax planning strategy. And for this particular producer, that that comment made a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought up a good point there. I think that's the that's one thing I'm seeing as well, too, is where more people are taking a look at the. Because it used to be, I mean, <clears throat> you know, back when I worked in the dealership, you'd come back in and it would be, I, I talked to my accountant, I need to spend 50 grand. What do you got? And 
mm-hmm. what do you want? You know, and we just kind of start running down the list of, of the stuff that were out there. Then you start looking at as input prices got to be a little more expensive and you started seeing a, mm-hmm. a bigger dollar value around the cost per acre and those kind of things coming into play. Mm-hmm. You're seeing more and more looking at, okay, I'm going to go ahead and prepay my seed, prepay my chemicals, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then when that's mm-hmm. all done, I'll take a look at what I need for my equipment roll because most of the folks, it feels like to me, mm-hmm. more producers right now are, are really starting to pigeonhole themselves, and I use that term in the best possible way you can use it, pigeonhole themselves mm-hmm. into, I'm going to run this machine for this many seasons before I get a new one. I'm going mm-hmm. to do, you know, I'm going to buy new one. I'm going to go on and try to figure out uh, uh, to get on a, a one-year roll cycle and see what that looks like. I'm going to do uh, every two years, I'm getting a new combine, new to me combine. Mm-hmm. And every three mm-hmm. years, I'm getting a new to me tractor or something like that, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to update my planter mm-hmm. technology when there's something new to update it to. Not necessarily because I've got a ton of acres on it or something like that, right? Because mm-hmm. it feels like to me that the the acres conversation on a, on a planner. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's out of the window mm-hmm. by any means, but it's mm-hmm. so much now, like it's got 50,000 acres on or hundred thousand, whatever it is. I'm just putting a row units on it and I got to worry about the bar. That's, that's kind mm-hmm. of the feel that I'm getting from that now. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I mean, when you're looking at, at what, uh, where this tax planning feel comes into, mm-hmm. it's not like used to be where equipment was the first thing on the list. It's, not mm-hmm. it's not the last thing on the list, but it's not it's not at the top. It's somewhere in the middle, and I think you, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they want to make sure that they're they're booking what they mm-hmm. need to make sure they need to book right away, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll take a look at what we got fleet wise in there. It, it, mm-hmm. That I, I agree with what you're saying there because that's the same vibe that I'm getting from when I when I listen to people talk. And Casey, one of the things I've found kind of interesting so far this fall that I've not really had a lot of people bring up is rental agreements. Okay. And of course, with folks that are on a semi-annual basis on cash rent or perhaps paying their cash rent in the fall, or even on some crop share, I've not heard a lot of discussions that have occurred yet. And, you know, we were we were talking earlier about you, about the utilization of technology. Yep. I think, Casey, that's the utilization of technology can be one of the best tools I think a producer can use in showing value to a landlord. Yeah. And yeah. whether that's in the form of potentially talking to them about a tile project or another type drainage project based upon yield maps, I, I think there's a great, way that technology can be used to help build that mm-hmm. landlord relationship. But at this point, I've not talked to a lot of people that have had a lot of discussions with landlords and where that trend may be. I will tell you that I participated in a couple of training opportunities within the past month where there was a discussion, at least in one of those, about a significant number of landlords that were moving toward possibly looking at all rent being paid up front in order to minimize their risk. And Casey, that's in today's world, we're looking at interest rates that are certainly higher than where they were two years ago. If that would become a trend, that can have a fairly significant impact on a producer's expense. 
So I think that's something to kind of bear in mind a little bit okay. as we see where that might hit. So explain that a little bit. Are you thinking about from the from the longer-term interest that they have to pay on that? If they were to say mm-hmm. if they didn't write a check for that, they had a line of credit mm-hmm. or whatever, that now they're going to carry that cash rent for 12 months instead of three months? Exactly. Okay. In fact, I had a producer in Casey. This was about a year and a half ago. I had a discussion with a producer. And he said that he had seen his cash rent payments. Historically, they had been semi-annual where he would pay half in, say, February or March, and then he would pay the balance in November or December. He had seen a significant change in the timing of those to where they were now required to be paid in February. So... If you're, say, your cash rent to a landlord's $100,000 a year, and now you're required to pay that 100000 in February, instead of, say, fifty in February or March and fifty in the fall, if you're, util- if you're utilizing an operating line, obviously, you're tacking another perhaps nine, ten months of interest expense on that 50%. Wow. Yeah. Even, if you're, even yeah. if you're using your own cash, you know, there's some pretty good rates of return available right now and some CDs. Sure. So even if you're using your own cash, you're seeing a diminishing of your rate of return on your interest. So that's a trend I'm kind of interested in seeing. And I, I've heard that mentioned now. Uh, one was an attorney uh, that talked about that. And in the other case, it was a trend more in a farm management company and how they were handling things. Yeah. So I'll add one more thing to that. The producer can keep that, that technology and the maps and yield maps and all those kind of things and soil samples and all those mm-hmm. kind of things and show back to mm-hmm. the landlord. Hey, this is what I'm doing for you. And this is what I'm flip mm-hmm. side of that too is now your landlord, they should be asking for that same, um, you know, the same technology readouts that they're getting there, the same, the same, you know, what's that look like and start building that base. Now where they can go start looking at this stuff. Cause mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no like book out there that says, Hey, if you're farming in this County, this is how many dollars mm-hmm. an acre you should be getting for your, for your piece of ground. Right. It's just, it's really just arbitrary. Like I'm just going to charge you X cause this is what I have always done. And there's some there's some good companies out there that that kind of embrace that and kind of look at it, but at the same time, all that being mm-hmm. said, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of technology mm-hmm. out there, a lot of information, a lot of data that's getting poured in that stuff, and it's it's mm-hmm. everybody should have should have that in their arsenal when they when they start having that conversation. So, very important stuff. They should mm-hmm. they, they should. And in Casey, to me, the data in and of itself is not the value. It's the knowledge of what the data means yeah, that exactly. truly creates yeah. the value. Yeah. And, and that's where if, if I'm a producer and I'm sitting down with a landlord, I want to make sure they understand the data and how I'm using it for their benefit. Yeah. Because providing data just for the sake of providing data, most of the time, candidly, will harm the relationship. Right. It's only when there is an explanation of how it is of value to, in this case, the landlord, 
and how that producer is doing something differently for them than others in the marketplace may be, that it truly becomes a value to both parties. For sure. And I think that's what you look for. How do you create the win-win yeah, exactly. for both parties? Yep. And that's where that data does that for you. It really does. If you, mm-hmm. if you share the Absolutely. data and you're open about what it is, then everybody wins, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Alan, good place to stop. Maybe covered a lot of, a lot of ground on that one. Um, you are the, I'm going to get this right this time. Okay. You ready? You're the, you're the president and national sales director for, uh, uh, see, I already messed it up, man. I already messed it up. American, American farm, farm mortgage. mortgage. God bless America. Uh, see, Casey, see, Casey, now you're doing that to the yeah. point where I get to say it. I know what it is. <laughs> oh man. One of these days, one of these days, Alan, I'll get that right out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> If folks want to reach out to you and get in touch with you and get just pick your brain about stuff, Alan, what's the best way to do that? Sure. My email address is ahoskins at AmericanFarmMortgage.com. Uh, Casey, I'll, I'll also give folks my cell phone number. It's 618-926-0463. Candidly, I like phone conversations a lot better than I like emails. If I'm candid, I'm kind of old school in that respect. And plus it's always great to talk to people. And most importantly, it's always great to listen to people and learn from. Right on, man. Well, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about the stuff. I always enjoy having you on. Hope to see you next month. Absolutely. Appreciate right it, Casey. Thank I'll you. I'll talk to you. Have a Merry Christmas. Same to you. Merry Christmas to you as well, Casey. Thank you. All right, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Twitter or uh, TikTok at Moving Iron Podcast. Snapchat at Moving Iron Podcast. And the video version of this is on the YouTube channel, which is at Moving Iron Podcast. It's shocking. So just blew some minds there. Check it out there. Go to MovingIronLLC.com for everything Moving Iron related. Hope to have a new website up here um by the first year and have some uh over the next couple of weeks have some big announcements about uh, what's going on with the moving iron llc and moving iron podcast for that so with that i'm casey seymour with alan hoskins let's move some iron folks <laughs>